Well, Jake, let's start off with you telling us a little bit about the church finance pros then. How did it come about? How did you get involved? Uh, and sort of where did your heart for ministry come from? Yeah, it's really funny. I consider myself an accidental accountant. Uh, my background was actually in Christian counseling. Uh, and as I worked for a few different churches, mostly large churches, I really found myself drawn to the administration and financial side of, of church operations. And so um, back in 2014, my wife's aunt actually passed over an accounting firm to me and my wife to manage and take over. And uh, even there, I was just doing that on the side. I, I quickly found uh, that churches are a really underserved area in terms of financial professionals um, who understand clergy taxes and clergy payroll, financial internal controls, all those types of things. Um, and so in 2019, I referred out all of our business clients and kind of rebranded and reopened a new company called Church Finance Pros, where we just serve churches on everything end-to-end -end for church finances. So from outsourced accounting, payroll, bookkeeping, um, to budget consulting, um, internal controls management, uh, and pretty much anything that a church needs financially, apart from being on site where we can actually count cash with you, we can handle with technology and just the outsourced uh, capabilities that exist now. So we ended up serving churches in this way. Like I said, I wasn't an accountant originally, um, but thankfully I've got a, a fantastic team of people who do have more of the accounting background. Um, and then my specialty is really helping with the technology side, uh, making sure that churches are using the right technology to manage their finances, increase efficiency, and really reduce a lot of the waste that comes from just hours of data entry that doesn't need to happen. What have you found being the biggest challenge then from going to being like a sort of counselor to, to like an accountant then? I mean, they are, they are very different. I guess they're both serving people, but very different. Yeah, I think, you know, both of them really were kind of hinged around my faith. And so um, there wasn't maybe a lot of change because initially I was doing that similar work inside of churches that I was on staff for. So I think the biggest change for me was actually going from being on staff at a church to being a business owner. And really, I didn't have a background in business. And so learning to grow a business and the ins and outs, obviously, the operations side came fairly easily as far as you know processing my own staff's payroll and things like that. Um, but just learning how to grow a business, how to manage capacity, things like that was actually where I think it was a bigger challenge for me to learn how to manage staff capacity with uh, the client demand and things like that. Um, and so it, it's really been a, an awesome season to learn and hone those entrepreneurial skills and really even find a new passion that I didn't know existed when I was working on staff at my church. Yeah, and it's a great passion you have. One of the reasons when we got connected a few months ago that I wanted to do this conversation is that I don't think it's necessarily a misconception, but when people think of crimes that occur in churches, most often they're thinking of uh, so crimes against children or in today's world, they go towards like mass violence of an active shooter. And when a lot of houses of worship come to me, Jake, they're really concerned about the fear of deadly force. But one of the biggest sort of risks, if you like, or threats that a church really faces around embezzlement and theft of their own, their own sort of fun so i'm really excited to have this conversation and, and yeah. get some of your sort of uh, knowledge about it because you know you and i both know statistically most of these churches in the country are less than 120 people so they might have a sort of volunteer in a finance role a larger church may have a financial controller um and someone who's in the role uh, might not necessarily uh have the sort of a, the, the skills or the training to really sort of manage such a sort of large um, church budget so i'm really excited to dive into this and sort of get some of your pick your brains a little bit about some of the, the dangers 
dangers and pitfalls. So, I mean, if we talk about embezzlement first, maybe if we, if we start there, sure. uh, and particularly with how your company helps people, what are some things that you believe a church should be doing to make sure that, that the finances and the stewardship of the money they're being given is actually going to those good causes and isn't going to little Maggie, who seems to be the little Maggie seems to be the worst person for embezzlement when I do my weekly crime trends. Uh, yeah. Generally, it seems to be women. Yeah, so that's interesting. I There are really a few key areas that I think churches get themselves into some trouble. And as with anything in the security world, we're really focused on risk management, right? So what can we tolerate in terms of risk? Where can we put safeguards in place? Not to be bureaucratic about things, but really to protect the assets that you are a steward of as a church leader. So interestingly, a lot of the time when people think about embezzlement, the first thing that they come to mind is just the offering. Like, how can we make sure that the, the cash is counted and all gets to the bank properly, which is really important. But especially since COVID, uh, since the beginning of COVID, so much giving has moved online. And so the risk of you know money disappearing in that way is much less than what it used to be. But there are two other areas that I think are top concerns for me when I work with churches. And especially those churches in the the demographic that you you mentioned, you know, 120 people or less, yeah. kind of as an average church size, is the first one. Most of the time, the volunteer bookkeeper in a church that size, or maybe a, a paid bookkeeper, uh, is also the check signer. So they're the ones keeping the financial records, but they're also the ones signing the checks and sending the checks out. So there's no one looking over their work to make sure they're not writing checks to themselves. Uh, now. I personally haven't run into a lot of churches where they, someone's gotten into trouble with that. I've I've had more businesses that I've worked with historically that have had that issue. You where... need to get my weekly crime, um, crime trends, Jake, and then you'll see yeah. how, how prevalent it is. Yeah, I'll get yeah. you on the list for that if you don't receive them. Mr. Yeah, yeah, my for listeners, sure. but Yeah, my listeners that get the weekly crime trends every week, there's embezzlement, four, five, uh, six, and yeah. the terrible, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but, and and it's... The opportunity is right because so many churches are set up that way. They don't have a separate person writing and approving payments. And that's where technology can come in really handy. There's some great free resources and technology for bill payment um, that churches can use that require approvals and kind of clean those processes up from a controls perspective. But where I see the most uh, issue with embezzlement is actually in employee expense accounts. So there are credit cards that most staff uh, get a credit card in a church. Um, I would say that misuse of those credit cards is probably the top risk for embezzlement right there. Um, I was working with a church, one of our largest clients actually just had to let go of an employee because they spent, I don't know, probably they don't, they don't even know how much for sure, but in excess of 5000 maybe around $10,000 in personal transactions on their church card. And because they had an outdated system where they were using paper receipts and, and those receipts weren't being turned in, it took them a long time to discover that there was an issue because it's just like, oh, I'm missing a receipt here. And so they, they couldn't see what the spending was for. And so time went on and months down the road, when the, the issue got worse and worse and more and more receipts just didn't come in and get turned in and things were just being categorized very generically um, under like, you know, events or supplies, then uh, they finally realized, hey, something is off here. And when they dug into it and looked through the receipts that they had received, they were able to see some mixed expenses where they've got some business expenses. But you know, if I was at Walmart or Fred Meyer, I picked up a few groceries along the way for my family, right? So those, and even you know, um, the spending on meals and food 
uh, there's some real big issues there where people are spending on personal expenses. I would say even among some of the other churches we've worked with outside of that, that one instance, it's pretty common to see people spend on personal things and then justify it as um, like a pastoral enrichment or, you know, I, I've had churches say to me, well, we, we pay for our family's chiropractic care because we don't get health insurance benefits and, but they don't report it as wages on payroll. That is a form of embezzlement because they're taking the church's money without accountability and using it for things that are personal in nature, which is really on the financial side, not only is it poor stewardship, but it's actually illegal from the IRS's perspective in terms of what your tax requirement is. And the number one risk that the IRS flags for nonprofits and churches is that idea of private inurement or private benefit, which basically means, are you privately benefiting from tax-free money? And that's their, the, that's their number one issue in the nonprofit world. So that embezzlement can actually cause you to lose your nonprofit status if an employee is not reporting tax on uh, something that they earned for a personal purpose. So those are really the, the two big areas. So the, the uncontrolled check writing from the person who also manages the financial records and company cards, uh, both of which are easy solutions to, uh, that can be implemented. There's easy solutions to take care of that. Um, and most of the time, technology uh, will, will be able to eradicate both of those issues, um, or at least to get them where the, if, you, if you're encountering that, it's going to be much faster that you discover it. Um, in terms of like the bill payments or the credit cards. Um, I'll give you an example of one of the technologies that I love for this is called Ramp. Um, and it's just ramp.com. When you go there, they actually have um, the ability, it's all free. You can upload pictures of each receipt as you swipe your credit card, and then you're able to account for those. Um, and the bookkeepers or finance team has real-time insight into everything that you're spending. Cards get locked if you don't upload a receipt in so many days, and so then you're not able to continue spending without first substantiating the existing expenses. And so that's a fantastic resource for churches who are uh, looking for something and it doesn't cost anything. That's the best part. So churches don't have an excuse really to say like, oh, we, we can afford technology to help us um, mitigate these risks. The technology is there and it's free. Ramp also has built-in free bill pay, which is basically unheard of um, for both check and ACH payments. And you can build in approval processes there so that certain thresholds for spending um, are covered by approvers, you know, at whatever level makes sense for your proper internal controls. And Jake, it's interesting that you say that. And for my listeners, I'll try and find the news article, but it came out around maybe three, four weeks ago. I'll try and find the link and then put it in the in the show notes for this podcast. But here in Minnesota, where I live in Rochester, there was a white middle class lady, which like I said, in the embezzlement cases I've seen, Jake, I'm not stereotyping. They all seem yeah. to be like white middle class ladies that do this. Yep. She'd stolen something like four hundred thousand yeah. dollars over six or seven years making cash withdrawals and spending on the church credit card, as you said. Yep. Uh, and I said to my church is a mega church. Uh, we have a sort of full-time security director. And I said to him, I said, you know, how are we doing on, on this stuff? He says, Simon, we have like a yearly audit. You know, we're, we're sort of good. Because whenever I read these articles, I'm always thinking, I, it doesn't happen in my ministry with, with, with yeah. me being there helping. But there's also maybe, Jake, a bit of a mindset behind this as well, isn't there? Because when I, I read the article, I was thinking, well, how does someone, and she was the church treasurer, but how does someone get in 
such a position of trust mm-hmm. consistently over a few years where some of the money she was withdrawing was in casinos and, and cash machines. And, and it was someone had looked at that um, bank statement or credit card statement straight away. Someone was said red flag and anomaly. But there's also must be a bit of a mindset in this, Jake, maybe with churches that they don't want to ask or they don't feel they need to verify because we're in a church in trust. I mean, is that something that you, you see? Would that be a fair statement? What would you, what'd you say to that? Yeah. yeah, all the time. I mean, when I have internal controls conversations with churches during onboarding, a lot of times the way that I communicate that to the internal bookkeeper, because typically they're the ones that are violating the the proper controls, right? So they need to be coached through that. And not because they have bad intentions, they just don't know better, right? A lot of times people, when especially in the finance world, they come on and they do whatever the person before them did. That's how they learned their role. They were breathing and they were willing. And so they got put in that position. And, you know, and, you know, little Maggie might be very trustworthy in general. And so they don't have a lot of accountability. So the way that I communicate to the bookkeepers when I'm going through that conversation and and establishing controls in a church that didn't have them before is to let them know that it's really for their protection, right? Because you know how quickly an unbased accusation or like any unfounded accusation can still destroy someone's reputation. And so the the first thing we want to be able to do when anyone would bring any kind of accusation would be to deny that based on the controls that exist and say there is no way that that could have happened or that that person did that because these controls exist and there's review processes and and reports are seen by more than just that bookkeeper. So we really want to focus on protecting the people first and then protecting the assets is an added bonus there. You don't have cash walking out the door or going off to... Um, be lost at the casinos, right? Um, But even the financial reports, I would say that people do look at. So let's say you have a a bookkeeper who's spending at the casino and and things like that. Um, There are certain reports that most churches review. And I don't think that a lot of those reports would actually disclose even some of that activity because they're not looking at necessarily the correct reports. They're looking at typically just an income statement or a profit and loss, people will often call it. Um, In the church world, it's called a statement of activity, but any of those names, it's all talking about the same report. The... um, that report is going to show the categories that things were put to. So the spending was in events or supplies or meals or uh, bank charges or dues and subscriptions, things like that. But it doesn't necessarily show what like the vendor that those things were purchased at, which is another thing with like the real-time insights into ramp and similar solutions. Um, you can see the vendors where things were spent. So if someone swiped a card at the casino, that's going to get flagged. And you can even choose certain vendors that you want flagged or certain categories of vendors like bars or restaurants, they get flagged for further attention. Uh, but on the spending that comes from the checking account, like through a debit card or checks, that's a little harder to maintain. That's not usually done necessarily through ramp. Um, but making sure that someone's looking at the bank statements and the bank reconciliation reports is probably one of the top ways that churches miss being able to catch something like that. Because the bank statements are going to show uh, typically every vendor that something was spent at. The bank reconciliation report is going to make sure that those things match. And on the bank statement, you also can see check images, which is an important thing because there have been situations where someone would write a check. In the books, they say, oh, we wrote a check to Culligan and we, you know, we got water for the office. But if you look at the actual check image, it's written to the bookkeeper for that amount. 
And so they were stealing money that way, but the reports that they were showing in the, in the books were kind of cooked, so to speak. So just looking at the reports alone from your accounting software is not going to be sufficient to catch an issue like that, because even if the numbers balance, the vendors might not be the same and checks could have been written, especially if they also are the signer on those checks. Uh, they could have been written to a different person than who it says in the books. So churches need to be a little more uh, broad, I would say, in their approach to the reports that they review. They should have someone appointed, maybe a treasurer on the board or um, another staff person who is looking over that work, checking the bank statements, checking the bank reconciliation reports. Um, and then the leadership can look holistically at the statement of activity for management purposes, apart from necessarily having to audit for proper controls and make sure that they've you know, checked every potential risk or area of risk. I like everything that you said there. And it reminds me of when I conduct a security risk assessment, we'll go to a, a church or nonprofit and we'll look at their people, programs, property technology, and we'll, we'll give them a report of mitigation strategy, strategy, sometimes finances in there, but it's not uh, something that we, we cover too much. So I'm looking forward to try and collaborate with you on some of those projects, Jake. But we'll, we'll present them to the leadership. Quite often, they're going through the, the meeting minutes and before they get to me to present about the findings from our risk assessment, they might do with church finances. And mm -hmm. it's everything that you've said. And, and my brain was thinking now, I can think of nine or 10 times I've done this. Everything has been quite high level here's yeah. our profit and loss statement as you've said and they're not necessarily getting down into the into the weeds and i guess if a church isn't doing that obviously you've mentioned there's some software controls they, they can use but is there sort of like uh, should they be dip checking every sort of quarter every now and again or should this be a regular practice that they they commonly ask for to, to get into the weeds for this reconciliation statement yeah, for the leadership themselves, uh, like for maybe a board of elders, most of the time they don't necessarily need to be in the weeds of every transaction. Sometimes I've found from a management perspective that can cause actually more disruption to the church as a whole when the leadership gets stuck in those little things. Like they'll nitpick and say, well, how can we spend this much on the copy machines? Like that, that cost seems too high. Well, that's usually not the position of a like a board. Their job is to manage the whole organization, not to nitpick individual charges. Yeah. But I do recommend that they appoint someone. Maybe the like, typically the board would have a treasurer or a secretary um, as a position on the board, and maybe that person alone is responsible for receiving additional reports. Monthly is going to be the safest way to do that if they don't have real-time access to the reports, uh, because that's the typical cadence that banks release their statements. So it makes sense for them to have access to that. And maybe there's a way that you can help them with, with this, Jay, but I know that smaller churches might not be able to pay for like a sort of a, a financial audit. So when I spoke to my church, they said, well, Simon, we have a full financial audit. So what happened in this church in Rochester, unlikely to, to happen here because we were detected. I mean, for those smaller churches, which is where my sort of heart and passion is to help them, I mean... Should they have an audit or should they just go through some of the things that you're, that you're saying? What would you recommend to small churches? Yeah, I, I think typically an audit's going to not necessarily address what they need to from a controls perspective. Um, I would say typically for a small church, if you get the controls right, the audit won't be necessary. And I would caution people with believing that an audit is going to uncover anything um, a lot of times in like an engagement letter from an auditing firm, they might specify that their goal is not to uncover something that was done incorrectly or out of compliance. Mostly their job is to attest and, 
and show that the numbers that you show on your books are accurate numbers. They're accurate calculations. The breakdowns are, are accurate that way. It isn't necessarily to detect fraud or embezzlement. And so if they're not looking for that and they don't look at the right reports, they might actually miss those things. So I would recommend if someone wanted to make sure that they're protected here, that they work with someone in an official engagement where their job or their role is to evaluate internal controls procedures. And you can probably do that for a significantly lower price than what an audit is going to cost. But you know, sometimes an audit may be $10,000. That's not achievable for a church of 150 in most cases. Yeah. Uh, so I, th I think you're right on. An audit is, is helpful and it may uncover... I think it's one of those things that like, like having a police presence somewhere is just a deterrent, right? You're hoping there's not really a problem, but you're encouraging there to not be a problem by letting people know that you're checking on it. Um, so doing that in a church is smart and audit can be a deterrent because someone knows there's going to be people looking through it. It's not just, you know, free reign. Um, but I don't think that doing a full audit and getting compiled financial statements is going to be the best protection that a small church can avail. I think really getting just uh, those internal controls right, making sure that there's not there's not an area where risk is just prevalent. I think that it can be done at a very low cost and uh, with a lot of benefit for what little investment you would have to put into it. And I think you said earlier, which is good as well, you know, the, the controls that we've sort of been mentioning uh, quite a bit during this conversation, they're there to protect and steward the money and make sure the money is going to the right good causes. Yeah. but they're also there to protect the individual as well. So the individual should be very cautious about stepping outside those controls to make right. things happen quickly or to make sure that something gets done because those controls are there for them. I worked with a, a church out of state where the, the money was being counted by one person. The ushers were just putting the money into the safe. It wasn't being counted. And then one member of the church was then counting the money. And it was not mm -hmm. so there was anything wrong that the employee was doing, but the church was putting them in a very vulnerable position for any allegation because it was just one person in the room, no cameras, no log as to what was even in there. And then maybe then just go and bank the money. So the, the controls yeah. are there for twofold, protect the money and protect the individuals as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with, the cash counting side, like I said, with so much giving now being done online, the risk is much lower, but yeah, you don't want to put yourself in that position for that individual. That is a bad place to be. Um, and maybe they don't know, uh, or maybe no one knows. And sometimes even that person is the pastor or the pastor's wife. And when you get in those family relationships, that's also a violation of controls. You need to make sure that you have two unrelated individuals um, doing that. And they can be the ushers. You could do the counting right then, uh, right? Like right as the offering's collected, it doesn't have to be done later. Um, but just like you said, making sure there's two people there will protect not only the assets, but will protect you from accusations. And I know my listeners, well, Jake, so their minds will be spinning thinking, well, well how do we get samples of what these controls look like or or, or what it, what should they be? Is this something that your company sells, Jake? Do you have anything on your website or anywhere that I can um, give information to my listeners? Because I know they're going to be saying, well, what should it look like? And you're yeah. maybe the person to help them. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to help them. Now, there's a few things. I would say in most churches, the controls are going to vary somewhat in terms of the staff availability, the technology you're using, so you know like what reports you can get and the, the staff structure. Uh, so the best way to, to, I would say, get started on this would be to schedule a call with 
and we have a free discovery call. We try to pack that full uh, with just value for you in terms of addressing what questions you have or what needs you may have. And we could talk through what that would look like to do a, a deeper assessment. But right out of the gate, you know, with a brief description of how your church is set up, I could probably pinpoint four or five different action items for every church that is saying that they could take and put into practice and and get to like 95% compliance on financial controls. Uh, beyond what we talked about here, I mean, we could get into those more specifics. So they can go to my website at churchfinancepros.com and just click to schedule a call on my calendar. And I'd be happy to walk through that with anyone and kind of fine tune their internal controls just as value to them. And then if they want something a little deeper or want our help to get those controls in place and ensure that the procedures and policies are, are being kept and moving in the right direction, then we could put together an engagement to assist with that. That's good. And I'll definitely put a link to your um, online discovery call as well. So the yeah. sort of second piece I wanted to tackle, and, and this might be going a bit outside of your area, I don't know. So for my listeners, Jake has no idea what I was going to ask him. He's coming yeah. to this a bit yeah. blind. But you know, you've mentioned as everything moves more towards online, I don't yet know of a church, I'm sure there's one that's had a sort of a breach of their data, but how are you seeing things change or what advice are you giving or sharing to churches as things move more electronic, be they app-based or online giving, if there's a sort of a breach of data or, you know, a loss of a loss of funds, what are you seeing in the market and what advice are you giving to churches around online giving? Yeah, that, that's great. With the online giving uh, the the number one risk from an embezzlement or fraud perspective would be that someone changes where the the funds get deposited to, right? Which yes, you yeah, quickly realize. Uh, I would say it would be slightly embarrassing. Money, yeah, yeah. The, the the money would just start drying up, and you wouldn't have any cash available if that stop if that was done. So thankfully, I don't run into that very often. Uh, most of the software out there, especially on the financial side, is well set up where you don't have to worry too much about the risk of data breaches, or especially on the financial side. So for example, like most, most merchant processors, they have the payment information stored securely in a gateway, and they're all subject to the, the PCI compliance and bank level regulations. So that's pretty low risk. Uh, interestingly, I think the, the way online that uh, churches mostly are compromised is through scams. Um, so they're not direct breaches of the technology that they're using because the technology is usually pretty solid. And, and so many banks and online accounts have the two-factor authentication now. So you're getting text messages before you log in, which you know is like the bane of my existence as from an outsourced accounting perspective, trying to log into different accounts and get access mm -hmm. to things can be a real challenge. But the scams is where, where churches really get hit on the electronic side. One of the more common ones that we've seen recently that will often get churches if they don't know to look for it is direct deposit updates for employee payroll. So regularly, we'll see, we'll get an email from uh, one of the pastors. I don't know how they do it, but sometimes like they always figure out when someone's gone on a mission trip or out of the office. And then they send an email to the accountant or financial professional who's doing their payroll. And they say, hey, uh, you know, last minute, I need my direct deposit information updated for payroll. When's that going to be effective? And here's my new account information. And it's actually a fraudulent account. Uh, information coming from a spammer's account email. It'll show the same name, but if you look at the email address, it's typically the wrong email address. 
Um, and then a lot of times an unknowing Maggie of the world would be uh, like, oh, sure, I'm going to be helpful and update their direct deposit information. They log into payroll, they update that information. And sometimes a check or two goes by deposited into the wrong account before the, the pastor or church staff member realizes they're not getting their paycheck. Once they run out of money and they're like, oh, because let's be honest, not very many people do a really thorough job of yes. managing their own budgets at home, right? So they sometimes don't even notice until they run out of money. And then, which is typically like 30 days, you know? So by then there's maybe two payrolls that have gone by and someone didn't get paid. And then getting that money back is almost impossible depending on how fast you catch it. There are some payroll softwares that can pull back the money, but typically it's it's gone as soon as it's paid. And they know when they've got you because you reply back and said, yeah, sure, no problem, I'm on it. I'm trying to be helpful. Um, so we catch those. There was, you know, had one the other day Thankfully, the, the in-house bookkeeper reached out and was like, I was just going to update this, but I figured since you're doing payroll, I should just send it to you instead. And sure enough, it was a scam for someone uh, that employee was on a mission trip. And you know, my own church, even they had an internal bookkeeper who uh, got caught in that and processed two payrolls to someone else's mm-hmm. account. Um, so those are really where I think the breaches come from. Um, in most cases, gift cards, uh, you get emails that say like, hey, uh, there's been an emergency. I need to get some gift cards for this volunteer or this other person. I can't get to the store. And it comes from someone in power, like uh, the appearance of coming from the lead pastor or something like that, usually to an assistant. And so that assistant runs to Walmart, runs to Fred Meyer, grabs a bunch of gift cards for sometimes hundreds of dollars to help the pastor out. And then they realize the pastor never asked for that. And they've already sent the gift card numbers off to that person via email. Um, and so that again is one that I've seen churches fall prey to over and over again. And so those are like, I, I would say, just watch those emails. That's, that's the, really the biggest thing. Make sure you get confirmation via phone or text or something like that. That is an alternative method. Don't just accept that an email from someone is going to be accurate on the website side. Like that's where I think a lot of scammers get the information. They can see your whole org chart because everyone, every church posts their, uh, all their staff members, yes. their staff emails and their staff titles right on their website. And I don't think I've ever seen a church website that doesn't include those details about the staff. And so it's so easy for them to say, I can email as this person to the finance clerk and I can get an extra paycheck this week. Yeah. And, and it's true. And we haven't got time to cover this, but even in the modern day AI, where it's now doing voices and stuff as well, it's going to be even more yeah. challenging. And particularly as you were talking there, my mind was just saying, you know, in a church, we want to help, we want to please, we want to do the right things. Right. Um, but but we, we can't, can't circumnavigate our controls. The controls are there to keep us safe and make sure we're safeguarding the money. So we do need to slow down and verify what was said. And one of the notes that I wrote down, Jake, which is really, I think this is true. I'd love to get your opinion on this. But most of the times when you see these embezzlements, and sometimes they can get large, generally there's no money to get back because these people have gone through a bankruptcy, they've spent it on a house, they've gone on a holiday. There's a, there's a slight difference between like a theft and an embezzlement. An embezzlement, very rarely do you see some of the, some of the funding back. So I think it's even more, um, our church needs to be even more sensitive and, and have more controls over their money because if someone does steal three, four, five hundred thousand dollars and as the case in Minnesota where she had a gambling addiction mm-hmm. where you're not going to see that money back. So, you know, we haven't been a very good student of it. I mean, is that something that you see as well that most often these embezzlers have spent the money and there's no money that the church can claim back? Yeah, 
I would say that's generally the case. Uh, the, in the example I mentioned earlier of one of our churches that had someone misusing their credit card, they were able to negotiate with that person to to reclaim, I, I think, a, at least a good portion of that. Yeah. But the, a lot of times the problem is, as once it goes on, you don't even know how much you've lost. So even yeah. if you could make a claim to get some of that back, you most of the time they don't even know how long it's been going on. And the, the biggest issue is those records are almost always non-existent. It's the receipts that didn't get turned in. So you don't know if it's a qualified business expense or not. Um, so you can't necessarily quantify that. And especially over years sometimes. So I would say most of the time, it's not, you're not going to get the money back. Once it's gone, it's definitely gone. Um, and then really, it comes down to the questions about whether you pursue charges against somebody or, and, and churches notoriously do not press charges when people steal from them, um, which... And, and I, some of that, Jake, is down to embarrassment as well. I mean, I call it, yeah. you know, there's reputational risk that comes from it. And and no one wants to really say, hey, we were the victim of a $300,000 embezzlement when we're asking for donations to go and help the homeless or help someone else. You know, they, they, there's yeah. bad aspects of the embarrassment of saying that you've lost these funds when you're a church designed to give ministry. How many people could that church have helped yeah, um, exactly. when they've lost three, four $400,000? Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, like those employees move on and without charges or even police reports, even if there's no charges, like they're onto the next organization, unfortunately. You might not be giving them a recommendation or a referral, but you know, they're going to go find another job. And unfortunately, without some restriction on them being able to work in a similar job, um, there's, there can be some real problems down the road as well. I've had uh, a friend of mine who also owns an accounting firm locally. They hired someone who had embezzled from another firm, I believe, or at least a business that they were employed by and no charges were ever processed. And they ended up hiring her in their firm. And thankfully they didn't get burned because the police, uh, ended up once, once the old employer found, uh, found out that they were still working in the finance world they did end up filing a police report. And so she got arrested on site, but my friend had no idea that that was uh, the history or the background of that employee. And they had just started working for them, only worked there about a month or so before the police showed up on site and just arrested her. You know, they, they're really gonna be moving on to the next thing. And, and so we do a disservice to others. And uh, like, if we're asking if we're loving our neighbor that way, I don't think we necessarily are. And also no. there's there, there could be some liability in today's world, being very much in a Sioux culture that, you know, they, they, there could be some responsibility that, you know, they knew this issue, a new crime had taken place, they ignored it. And then right. someone else goes on to be a, be a victim. I mean, I don't, I'm not an attorney, so I can't speak, but sure. it sounds to me like that the, the second employer is going to be very unhappy with the first employer. And in today's world, yeah. there could be some type of lawsuit that comes out of, out of that as well. So yeah, For fascinating. Sure. Maybe we, we've got to, Come back and do another conversation on that, Jay, because time goes very quickly when you're, when you're having yeah. fun and getting in. So it's, it's been a great conversation. So I know that obviously you've got church finance pros, how you can help churches. I'll drop the link to your um, your calendar if people want a, a free call yeah. to learn some more. I'd really encourage people to do that. And if you do take advantage, let Jake know as well where you come from the podcast, just so he knows yeah. where, where you've come from. And uh, you've also got a Facebook group. So a lot of my listeners are facilities, pastors, and church leaders. Um, tell them about your your Facebook group you've got, because they might want to join and get involved in the conversation there. 
Yeah, absolutely. So we'd love to have you in our Facebook group called Church Executive Administration and Operations. So it's all about the business of church. It's a great place to go and ask questions that you have and see conversations that other churches are having uh, related to anything operational, not just finance. So we do dabble in some of the security stuff. And I know Simon's a a great participant there. Um, We do have a lot of finance questions, facilities related questions. Um, So it's a great place to have conversation. And then we also have the Church Operations Toolkit um, at churchoperationstoolkit.com. We're in the process of relaunching that. So we're doing some rebranding, relaunching, and kind of restructuring our product offerings there um, with a ton of tools and templates, again, for all things operational for churches. So HR, IT, uh, kind of really trying to catch the whole gamut of everything except for the specific ministry functions where there's already plenty of great resources um, through other organizations. So Look for that uh, in the coming, probably within two months or so, we should have that relaunched um, and have some great new packages available there as well. Well, Jake, it's been an honor and a privilege to talk to you. It's great to, to get to know you. And I'm um, I'm pleased that you're the person doing this because there's a there's a big need to help people in around church finance. So I'm glad we had this conversation. Yeah, so thank you for joining me today. Yeah, yeah it's my pleasure. It's great chatting. 